Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to Two Footed Podcast. It is Wednesday. It is hump day. It is the 18th of November. We're brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is, of course, a VPN provider, so do check out their services at libertyshield.com and use my code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. Uh, I understand I've been a little bit low energy the last couple of days, and I may be again today. I am not well. That is the issue. Uh, it's not the Rona. I can confirm. Definitely not the Rona. But I haven't been well the last few days. So apologies if I've been a little bit off or the podcast have been a little bit boring. Uh, it wasn't my intention at all. Um, obviously, with no club football just yet, um, that's coming. That is coming this weekend. Uh, we're still trying to make up shows as we go along. So uh, today I wanted to have a look at a couple of things. I want to have a look at um, one international result from last night that was quite striking. I want to have a look at the most disappointing player for each Premier League club so far. Um, Guy has given me the odds on who's going to be the next England manager, and I think we need to have a quick chat about that. And uh, I wanted to check in with last, last season's relegated trio, with Watford, with Norwich, and with Bournemouth, and see how they're doing. I haven't really paid much attention to the championship so far this season, but I do know they're all doing quite well. So um, let's start. Spain beat Germany 6-0 last night. 6-0. Uh, it's the biggest defeat by the for, biggest defeat for the Germans since the 1950s. And it could well be the end of Yaki Lowe's term in charge. Um, they were eliminated from the group stage in the last World Cup, which was hugely embarrassing. They've dropped to number 13 in the world rankings, which is way below what Germans will find to be acceptable. And in truth, when you look at the team, it's no surprise that they are where they are. Now, this result is still a surprise, especially against that Spanish team, which I would suggest is five to six players shy of being Spain's best 11. But when you look at that German team, Manuel Nauer in goal, he's, look, he's had a really good comeback with Bayern Munich, but it is time, it has been time for Marc-Andre Ter Stegen to become the number one keeper for Germany. He is a better goalkeeper than Manuel Nauer at this point, and that has just been the case for the last three years. Even when Nauer had his resurgence last season, Ter Stegen was still better than him. That's just how it is in 2020. Marc-Andre Ter Stegen is Germany's best goalkeeper and should be in the team. It's strange to me that Lowe was willing to push Boateng 
and Hummel's out of the picture. And rightly so. Both of them were past the best. But he hasn't done it with Nauer. Now, whether that's because Nauer holds some sort of sway because he's such a popular player at Bayern, I don't know. But that really shouldn't influence the national team. Manuel Nauer's time in the German national team, it should be over by now. Um, Matthias Ginter played right back. Matthias Ginter is a good centre-back, a decent holding midfielder, but he's not a full-back. And playing him there is just asking for trouble. You are asking to leave him exposed. You're asking for him to get caught out for pace. A very poor decision. The Germans have really struggled with right back since Josh Kimmich became a midfielder. Um, the, the options after him, not particularly good. Now, they did have Benjamin Heinrichs on the bench, who's back playing for Leipzig and playing pretty well. And he was thought to be the long-term guy at right back. But they left Ginter out there for pretty much the entire game. Actually, for the entire game. And brought Heinrichs on on 76 for a striker and changed things up a little bit at that point. Went to more of a back five, which was weird. Um, You've got a right back. Play the right back. Don't play the centre back at right back. It's just stupid. Nicholas Sewell played at centre back. He is their best centre back. However, he missed most of last season through injury. He's not currently starting every game for Bayern. He's being brought in and out. He's been brought back really slowly because after the injury he had, there's an understanding that he needs rest. He needs time. This is a Europa Nations League game. This is nothing important. You don't play Nicolas Sula not long back from a devastating injury in this stupid game. They brought on Jonathan Ta for him at half time. And look, five years ago, Jonathan Ta was one of the best young centre backs in the world. He was a player of tremendous potential, come through at Hamburg. He had moved on to, to Leverkusen. And he looked like two years this guy is going to one of the top clubs in the world. He is still there. He has not only stagnated, but he has regressed significantly. He's become a very passive defender. When he was young, like when he was 18, 19, he was a bully. He was flat-track bullying grown men. And there was nothing they could do about it because he was bigger and stronger than them at 18, 19. Now at 24, 25, whatever he is, he is so passive. He's a back foot defender, which is not something you want in a guy built like him with his physical attributes. It's very disappointing. At, at best, if he ever moves on, he's going to be a, a, you know, a, a squad player for a decent team. Um, he's been in a bad environment at Leverkusen for a couple of years. You look at the players that joined Leverkusen over the last bunch of years, and even the likes of Benjamin Heinrichs, who didn't have much good to say when he forced his way out to Monaco. But a lot of the good young players that have gone there in the last five years, five, six years, haven't developed at all. Um, the two that did, Julian Brand and Kai Havertz, they came through the academy. And maybe they were immune to a lot of the rest of the noise and nonsense going on because they were academy products. Maybe they were treated differently. Who knows? Uh, Robin Cock played next to Sula in the first half. Pa in the second half. He has been disappointing for Leeds so far this season. So I'm not sure how that would qualify him to start for Germany. Um, I think he's a solid defender. I don't think he's a starting caliber defender for a national team of the importance of Germany. One of the three or four or five 
top teams in the world in, in international football. So, you know, again, it's it's a little bit weird. And um, Philippe Max starting at left back, I've never really been a fan. Um, playing okay for PSV Eindhoven, but he wouldn't be one for me. Again, they've struggled at left back, and this is an ongoing thing. You think back to even before 2010, um, when they were in catastrophic need of rebuild, they've just the whole way through, bar the couple of years Jonas Hector was very good, they've struggled to find a legitimate option to play at left back. Um, in midfield, Leon Goretzka started. He's he's very very good, but is he a starter for Germany? I I, I just don't know that he is a starter quality player for Germany. Now you can argue that he started because Josh Kimmich didn't. I would argue that Gundogan started because Josh Kimmich didn't. Um, I wouldn't I, look. I like I do like Goretzka, but I I think surely they could find a better option. I mean, Julian Brand is sitting on the bench. I know he's not getting in every game at Dortmund, but I think he's a better player than Goretzka. Florian Newhouse of Mönchengladbach, come on, he's very talented, played one of the best passes you'll see all season recently. Younger, a little bit more talent, not as powerful as Goretzka. I mean, look, Goretzka probably deserves it based on last season when he was dynamic in the Champions League run. So I don't really have a big problem with it. But, you know, again, Gundigan as the holding midfielder. Tony Cruz next to him, That's uh, it's a lot of guys doing repetitive work. And if one's going to do it, it should be Tony Cruz, who's maybe the best or second best in the world at what he does. So that midfield, it just, it's a little bit stale. Uh, I, th- I think when Kimmich is in it, obviously, it's an awful lot better. But they've been a little bit unfortunate. If you consider Julian Vigel had the ankle injury and never quite recovered. And then... Dortmund sort of lost focus on him and, and sold him on to Benfica. Mo de Hood was meant to be, you know, this all all action, do anything, box to box dynamic uh, midfielder who was going to come into the team and revolutionise how Germany played in midfield. He moved from Gladbach to Dortmund, and again, he just hasn't developed. He's slightly better than he was when he joined, but he doesn't get enough game time. Now, he was on the bench for this one. I don't know how he's in the national squad. Like, for me, if you're not starting every game or mostly every game for your club, you shouldn't be in your national team, unless your national team is a second-tier national team. Like, it's okay for Ireland to pick players who don't start every game for their top-tier club, but it's not okay for Germany. It really isn't. It's not okay for Germany, for England, for Italy, for France. You wouldn't even get a look in at France. Like the, the list of players France have who haven't even been capped yet is ridiculous. Um, up front, they did have, I would say, their best attack. Leroy Sané, Serge Gnabry, and Timo Werner. The problem with the three of them is that they all really look for a focal point when they pick the ball up. With Sané... The best we've seen Sané was at Man City when he had Aguero as a reference point as to where he was looking to get the ball to. The same thing with Gnabry. We see him play for Bayern and it's get the ball, where's Lewandowski? That is his mandate. Get the ball, where's Lewandowski? Can he score? Can I score? What am I going to do here? Sané is now there as well, obviously. So again, he plays with Lewandowski. And Werner, despite wearing the number nine shirt, isn't really a number nine. 
he's more of a nine and a half wide forward. He's very, very good, but he's not yet at this point an outright number nine. Now they did they did bring on Walshmit um, on sixty, but they brought him on for Sane. I thought they would have been better off bringing him on for one of the midfielders. Like if they were they were bringing off Goretzka at the time, they could have just left Gundogan and Cruz as a midfield two, and gone with Sane and Gnabry as inverted wingers, and then Werner just off Walshmit and gone you know four two four. Because they were getting walloped at that point anyway, so it didn't really matter. Um, it was just, it was a bizarre performance from from Germany. They looked lost. They looked like a team completely shorn of confidence. They, they looked like a team who didn't really believe in what they were being asked to do. Um, Ferran Torres scored a hat-trick, and it was probably the easiest hat-trick they'll score. Like, it, he scored goals with no pressure on him. Rodri scored, Alvaro Morata scored, and Iarzabal wrapped it up very, very late on. Spain were cruising from 20 minutes in. They scored their first on 17. And at that point, I think they realized they could toy with Germany. And how often have we been able to say that? I mean, it's it's so strange how Germany have failed to back up that elite era that won them the 2014 World Cup. The best prospects they've had come along since. The likes of Heinrichs, the likes of De Hood, the likes of Wiegel, the likes of Marc-Andre Ter Stegen, for one reason or another, have not progressed away into the national team, into the starting eleven, And it's something the Germans are going to really have to address. And I think, you know, the first step towards that is, is probably going to be removing Joachim Lowe. But who do they go for? That's going to be a big question for them. Obviously, the one they would probably want is Jurgen Klopp. They're not going to get him. Thomas Tuchel, you'd imagine, to be high on the list. They won't get him. They won't get Julian Nagelsmann. I can't imagine Hansi Flick is walking out on Bayern to go back to the national setup. That might be a little bit too much of just the same. It's hard to know who Germany would, would go for. It really is. But it needs to be somebody different. It needs to be somebody with fresh ideas. It needs to be somebody who's not tied to people like Manuel Nauer. It really does. It needs to be someone that can make a clean break from that 2014 team and put together a new, all-powerful German team. Um, Right. Last week, we did the most impressive players for the 20 Premier League clubs. Today, we're going to do the most disappointing players. Now, this can be disappointing for a number of reasons. It can be a new signing that just hasn't quite lived up to the billing, a player that's playing well, but not as well as we would expect them to play. Um, There's a whole bunch of different reasons why you can be disappointing. So we'll go through them. Uh, For Leicester City, I've got Aosi Perez, who just to me, hasn't impressed this season. I think he's been the one piece of the attacking machine at Leicester that just has not clicked well enough. He doesn't really work, and you you would think he would because it's a more natural position for him, but when they've played that 3-4-3, he just hasn't really fit in properly. Um, I, I think he's the one attacking player at Leicester who's disappointed. And maybe... 
other than the likes of Wes Morgan and Christian Fuchs, who you don't really expect much from anymore. Maybe he's the only player that's disappointed. They've had a lot of injuries. They've had a lot of guys step into roles that they're not familiar with or maybe they weren't ready for. And they've done okay. But for me, Jose Perez has been the one that's just been disappointing. Uh, Spurs is Deli Ali, and it can't be anybody else. He's fit. He is ready to play. But he's obviously not putting in the work and training. You go back to all or nothing and you see the interactions with him and Mourinho. Mourinho says to him, I've, I've been told you're lazy in training. I've been told you're lazy in training. That's before he's ever worked for the club, which means, sorry, before he's ever really coached him, which means he's been told while at other clubs, maybe while at United or before that at Chelsea, you know, Delhi's a great player, but he's, he's poor in training. It may have been that Mourinho was considering signing him. Because Delhi is a very Mourinho-type player. That one who plays in the advanced midfield role, it's the ideal role for Delhi. That goal-scoring midfielder that we saw him make Frank Lampard into, like that is the ideal role for Delhi. But he obviously got feedback that Delhi's not good in training. And Delhi laughed about it and thought it was funny. Two years ago at the World Cup, Deli Ali was a starting player for England. Now, admittedly, so was Jesse Lingard. But Deli Ali was seen as one of the future pillars of that England team. Now he can't even get in the matchday squad at club level. I mean, a couple of years ago, he was a £100 million player. Now, I think they'd struggled to get £30 million for him. He's just had a massively disappointing season. And the games he has played in, he hasn't performed. So, Delhi needs to get his act together. For Liverpool, it's Bobby Firmino. Um, to me, he looks exhausted. He has been at Liverpool since before Jurgen Klopp arrived. He's been there for the entire Klopp era. And he has played an absolute ton of football in that time. And it's not just for Liverpool. It's for Brazil as well. He's had very few extended breaks other than maybe the COVID lockdown. But, you know, there's been Confederations Cup or whatever it's called now. It's been a World Cup. There's been a Cup, uh, Cup America. He has just been run into the ground over the last five years. And to me, he just looks exhausted. And I see him play for Brazil this week. And again, even though he scores a goal, he looks exhausted. Physically, he just does not look like he is up to the task. He looks like he's lost weight as well. He, and he doesn't have the strength that he used to have. He's not as adept at knocking defenders off the ball anymore. And that was a big part of his game. I think Bobby Firmino needs an extended break out of the Liverpool team. I think you could give him, you know, a month, a month and a half out of the team. Let him train. Don't overtrain him. But let him train and just tell him, look, we're, we're, we want you ready for the second half of the season. We need you ready for the second half of the season. Liverpool are not where they are without Bobby Firmino. But unless he gets back to something resembling his good form, and it's been over a year now since we've seen Firmino play well for Liverpool on a regular basis, unless he gets back to that soon, this team will leave him behind. 
they will just go to a level that he's no longer able to play at. We've seen it happen with a bunch of players. There's still a couple of others at the club that aren't capable of playing at the level that's required. But Firmino is, is worryingly close to becoming one of them. And that would be a shame because he's he is one of the defining players of the Jurgen Klopp era. Um, he is one of the guys that really set the standard, set the tone. He's been the key to the entire system, the old system, key to the how they press. Now it's slightly different. Maybe his role, maybe he's not as important to the system anymore. So more of the flaws in this game are getting shown up. But either way, Firmino needs to needs to get a break and then he needs to get back on track. Uh, Southampton in fourth, and I've gone for I've gone for Stevens. To me, he just hasn't played well, Jack Stevens. Um, I think they look vulnerable at the back when he plays more so than when he's not in the team. It's not a dig against him, but I just think his lack of pace, his lack of mobility, his la- he's a decent reader of the game, but he can get dragged out of position a little bit too often and doesn't have that recovery pace to get back. It's Yeah, Jack Stevens is the one for me. Um, for Chelsea, I've gone with Andreas Christensen. I think he might be, from a talent point of view, the most talented defender at Chelsea. Other than the fullbacks, I mean, Reese James and Ben Chilwell are different, but of the set, the centre back group, from a talent point of view, I think he might be the best of them. Certainly, he's got more talent than Rudiger and Zuma. There's, there's no question there. Tomori, I do like, but I still think Christensen has a higher upside long term. But he has been, well, he's been bad. He's been terrible. He's been bad. He's been really bad. When he's played this season, he's been really bad, and they've been really bad defensively with him in the team. And I think his time at Chelsea is over. And I think if if I was his agent, I would be telling him, look, we need to get you out of here come January. We need to figure out how much they want for you, and then we need to go and find a club that's willing to pay pay it and, and get you out of here because it's going to ruin his career. It really is. I mean, when he went on when he went on loan to Gladbach a few years back. He looked like he was going to be one of the better young central defenders in Europe and that he would develop into a really good you know, player for club and, and national team. And it just hasn't happened yet. Now, he's still got loads of time. He's still quite young. But he does need to get himself out of Chelsea. Um, and I, I think they would be willing to, to move him on. I mean, at 24, he's got good value. And they want to raise money for Declan Rice. So I think they would sell her. Um, next of them, we've got Aston Villa. And this one might be a little bit unfair, but I've gone with Tyrone Mings, who is is meant to be the linchpin of that defence, is meant to be the leader of that defence. But in my view, is the weak link in that defence. I think Ezri Kanz has outperformed in pretty much every game this season. I think the right side of the defence, which is the younger side, has massively outperformed the left side. And it's not on Matt Target. It is on Mings. Positionally, he's not great. Doesn't read the game very well. He's a good 1v1 defender, but he does struggle when he gets turned. He surprisingly struggles when he's moved, when he gets pulled out to left back and people stand him up. 
which he shouldn't because he's played left back enough times in his career that he should be fairly competent there. I think we're seeing some of the flaws in his game that led to Bournemouth deciding to move on from him. And he may be one that Villa need to look at replacing in the medium term. Um, For Everton, it can only be the tiny-armed man, Sir T-Rex himself, England's number one, who should be the number five choice keeper. We won't say his name. He doesn't deserve to have his name said on the Two-Footed Podcast. But you know who I mean when I say the tiny, tiny-armed man. Um, Crystal Palace, it's always Penteke. It's always Penteke. No matter what you look at at Palace, if you say the word disappointing, it's just going to be Benteke. Don't care how often he's played. Nothing matters. They paid 30 million for him. He scored about six goals. Awful. It's Christian Benteke. Moving on. Wolves is a Wolves is Adama Traore, and it's not Adama Traore's fault. It is Nuno's fault entirely. But that doesn't change the fact that their most disappointing player this year has been Adama Traore, who they expected going into the season to take it up a level and help them push for top four. And it hasn't happened. Now, the circumstances are out of his control, but it just hasn't happened yet. So their most disappointing player so far, Adama Traore. Uh, for Manchester City, it could be a number of players. And myself and Guy were discussing before we came on air. Kevin De Bruyne could be in the conversation here because given what we expect of him and given the level he's displayed over the past number of years, you do expect more from him. But he has played well in a number of games. So it would have been unfair to pick him. It is very fair to pick Bernardo Silva, though. Uh, who's been very disappointing. It's strange to me that he hasn't been able to nail down a starting spot. When David Silva was leaving, Bernardo Silva should have been eyeing that midfield position as his own. He's played there in the past. He's been absolutely sensational there in the past. He is everything you would want in that role for a Pep Guardiola team. Talent-wise, there's absolutely no doubting him. Work rate-wise, there's absolutely no doubting him. Attitude seems to be the issue. And I base that largely on social media, where he comes across as a bit of a twat, really. Cries a lot, moans about things. Um, I'm sure he's a nice guy. Like, I, I'm sure he is actually a nice guy, but he comes across a bit of a twat. And he comes across as a little bit of a baby. And maybe just from a mental strength point of view, he's just not there. Which is disappointing, but I think, you know, talent, work rate, you can't you can't fault a guy. He is a sensational player. He runs himself into the ground regularly for his team. You would take him in your team, but you would want to sit him down and say, right, number one, no more Twitter for you. Get your Twitter off your phone. You can't be you can't be trusted to have a Twitter account. And number two, just Stop moaning about things. If you need to moan, come and speak to the manager and have a moan there. Stop moaning about things elsewhere. Um, number 11 is Arsenal, and it is Aubameyang. It just is Aubameyang. It could be Lacazette, but I'm going with Aubameyang. He scored one goal from play this season. One goal from play in eight games. And I understand that they don't create a lot of chances for him. The man has scored one goal from play. That's unacceptable. It really is unacceptable. 
he's had enough chances to score more than one goal. So Aubameyang is the choice for, for Arsenal. I'm sorry. I'm not saying he's played badly, because that's not what this is. It's not, you know, the worst players. It's the most disappointing players. The players you expect something from. Except Benteke, he just makes it in any way. And Little Arms, I never expect much from him other than comedy. But, you know, he has to get in, because how else would I take digs at him? Um, 12 is West Ham, and I think it's Sebastian Haller, who just continues to struggle. Um, when he was at Frankfurt, he played in the front two. He was brilliant in the front two. And he needed to move to a club that would play him in a front two. And instead, he's just been launched up front by himself and expected to, you know, carry the load all by himself. Which, from... The thing is, with him, he can do one of two things for you when he plays in a two. He can be either be the one who does the donkey work, does the link-up play, holds things up, brings other players in, into the game, or he can be your goal scorer. But he can only do one of them at a time. That's why he's at West Ham and not Bayern Munich or, you know, a, a top club. Um... That's why West Ham were able to get him, because he does have limitations to, to his game. He can do pretty much everything, but not all at the same time. He needs a partner. He's always needed a partner. Just look at his career. He's always needed a partner. And the thing is, him and Antonio would be hell on earth to try and deal with. Two big, physical, bruising center forwards. One with really good touch and, and feel for the game. Really good passing. One with that brute strength and power and pace that Antonio has, they could be such a good partnership because both, and the thing is, they're exactly like each other. Antonio can do either all the dog work or he can score the goals. He struggles with both, which is why, again, no disrespect to West Ham, but again, why he has stayed at West Ham for so long. Because there's been runs of games where Antonio has just gone nuclear and scored a bunch of goals and looked like the next big thing, even though he's 30 or whatever. And you just think, God, how does he not do this regularly? Why is he not at a, at a bigger club or a higher up the league club? And it's because there's limitations in his game. It's the same thing with Haller, but together as a pair, they really could form a really impressive strike partnership. Now, old man Moyes is playing a back seven at the moment. Uh, with one in midfield, one on the wing, and a strike front. But he will only really ever stick to one up front. The days of Moisey having the bravery to play two up front, well, he left them behind uh, when they, the last decade began, let alone this decade. Um, but, yeah, it's said Haller. I mean, they paid $40 million for him. The goal return hasn't been great. The performances this season haven't been good. I do like him as a player. I, I think he could be really good for a team that would play him with a strike, with another striker, play him with another goal scorer, get like a natural goal scorer. If West Ham could somehow find a way to convince Celtic to sell them Odson Edward, that as a pair, they would light the league up. No word of a lie. I think they get 40 goals between them in the Premier League alone. But as a lone striker, he's just he's not going to work. For Newcastle, it's Miguel Almiron. And again, it's not that he hasn't played well. He's had a couple of really good performances. It's just that I expect more from him. 
And I think Newcastle expect more from him. They paid a lot of money to bring him in. Uh, he's a very talented player. He just has a tendency to drift out of games too much. Um, and that's basically why it's him. 14 is Manchester United. 14th place. I, Manchester United in 14th place after seven games just doesn't seem like a real thing that should should exist in the Premier League era, given what they've been. But it is what it is. They are 14th. Ollie's at the wheel. And Paul Pogba is their most disappointing player. And he is always their most disappointing player. Because they paid £89 million to buy the best midfielder in the world. And no such midfielder has ever arrived at Old Trafford. Not once. There is not a single spell where Paul Pogba has been at Manchester United that you could point to and say, right there, he was the best midfielder in the world. Not one. Not a day, not a week, not a month. Nothing. He has been a massive disappointment since joining and they need to figure out what they're doing with him. Uh, 15 is Liam Cooper uh, of Leeds. Uh, sorry, well, 15 is Leeds and Liam Cooper is the player. It could have been any of the defenders or the goalkeeper in truth, but It came down to him or Luke Ayling, and I think Ayling has been slightly better. Robin Cock has been poor, there's no question. But he is new to the team. He's still learning how to play under Bielsa. Cooper's been there two years. He's been there more than that, but he's been there the two years under Bielsa. He should know by now what's expected. He has struggled this season. Now, part of it is the the, the jump up in, in quality. And that's understandable, but for me, it's it's Liam Cooper, and it's it's harsh. It could have been a lot of players. Don't really want it to be any of them because I do I do so much enjoy watching this Leeds team. Like every week when the fixtures, when I when I look at the fixtures, I look to see what time Leeds are playing, and I make a note that I want to watch that game. Before, like some of the games, I'll watch live. Some I'll go back and watch either you know early Sunday morning or early Monday morning before I record this, or late Sunday night, whatever. Make sure I get every game watched, but I'll always watch Leeds as it happens, unless they clash with Liverpool. Um, so when they played Liverpool, it was great. But I just love watching this Leeds team play. And um, I just they just need to sort that defence out. I need this team in my life. They're just so much fun. Uh, 16 is, is Brighton, and it's Neil Mopay. For a couple of reasons. Number one is performances. He started the season looking dangerous, looking quite, you know, quite intent on having himself a good season. And then all of a sudden he was out of the team. And since then he's been fairly poor. And apparently the reason he was dropped is because his attitude stank. And that's just, that alone gets you on the list, son. I'm sorry. If your manager has to drop you because of your attitude and you're the best player in your position at the club by a considerable margin. And yet he still drops you. You're a problem. So it has to be him. It just has to be Neil Mopé. Um, for Fulham and 17th, it, it's Mitrovic. It just is Mitrovic. It's not all his fault. He's not been given the service. But when I look and I see them on four points, I can't help but be annoyed that they don't have more they should have beaten Sheffield United he missed a penalty by trying to kick the leather off the ball then he gave away a stupid penalty that 
for no reason at all. I mean, there was absolutely no reason for him to give that penalty away. And then against West Ham, I mean, you're the main guy. You're the guy, the striker at the club. And you started the season as the designated penalty taker. One miss should not take you off them. I don't know why he let Adam, Adam Ola Luckman step up and take that late penalty. Now, having seen his penalty for Serbia against Scotland, maybe we understand that Mitrovic just can't take penalties. But I want my number nine grabbing that ball. If I know he's already the designated penalty taker, which, you know, he has seemingly established himself out with his list against Sheffield United. I want him taking that ball. Luckman missed anyway, so it doesn't matter if he'd missed. But I want him putting that ball down. He hasn't impressed enough. He's given too many teams an easy ride. Like, I want Mitrovic out there bullying centre-backs. He doesn't have huge amounts of technical ability. He's not a bad technical player, but he's not He's not Berbatov. What he is, is he's a brute. And I want him out there bullying centre-backs. Go and pick the weakest link and just give him the worst 90 minutes he's going to have until he sees you again later in the season. That's what I want from him. And he's just not delivering. Um, West Brom in 18th, it's Sam Johnson, the goalkeeper. I liked him last season. This season, he has been very disappointing. Uh, Doesn't seem to know how to use his hands, which is a problem for a goalkeeper, of course. So, yeah, it's him. Nineteen is Chris Wood. A lot of it is the same as Mitrovic. I need you to go out there and just physically dominate those defenders. That's what I need. I need you to go and bully the life out of centre-backs, and you're not doing it. Teams are having an easy time playing against Burnley this year. When's that ever been the case? Not once did he go and just kick Thiago, Thiago Silva up in the air. Throw an elbow into his ribs. You know, give him a little shoulder. You've got three inches on him. Your shoulder will catch his jaw. Didn't do any of it. None. I need to see more Chris Long. Chris Long. Chris Long's an American football player. I, mean, if we, I, I made this mistake before we started. And Guy wondered, was it the love child of Chris Wood and Shane Long? Um, which would be a tremendous all-round striker. Uh, Woods' physicality, Long's pace, be great. Be Sean Dyche's dream. A nice, simple name as well. Nothing too exotic. Um, yeah, I need more, Chris Wood. I really need more. And your your club needs more. This is your, your country needs you moment. Step up. Um, for Sheffield United, on the suggestion of Guy Drinkle, gone for not Sander Berger, Everybody else. Everybody else. All other players other than him are to blame for where they are. And that's that. Let's move on. Um, The latest odds to replace Gareth Southgate should he be removed or should he step down as England manager, which, I mean, fairness, he's not going to do till after the Euros at least. And knowing the FA, as long as he gets to the quarterfinals and loses heroically, uh, he'll get the job till the World Cup and then on and on. I mean, Hodgson would still be the manager if it wasn't for Iceland. Um, 
Phil Neville is 14 to 1. Uh, the soon to be former manager of the English uh, women's national team. 14 to 1. Arsene Wenger is 14 to 1. Now, I don't know if he'd have any interest in the job, but if he had even the slightest bit of interest in the job, England should be all over it. Stephen Gerrard and Frank Lampard are 12 to 1. Stephen Gerrard and Frank Lampard. A combined four and a bit years of managerial experience. 12 to 1. That is... They shouldn't even be considered. They should be 100 to 1. Until they've had about 10 years of experience in management. What is that? It's just nonsense. Chris Wilder at 11 to 1. If if things don't turn around at Sheffield United, he may be available. Um, Graham Potter at seven to one. I would, I would bet he will manage England at some point. He won't be next, but I do think he'll manage England. Uh, Eddie Howe is also seven to one. And again, I, I, I do think he can manage England. I'm not. I wouldn't be as certain as I am with Graham Potter. I think, obviously, how things ended at Bournemouth. With the relegation that will have knocked Howe's reputation a little bit. I think he needs to figure out how to coach defence. But, you know, when he can't buy players, he might be all right. Um, I like Eddie Howe. But he, you know, he's going to need to have a another another stab at the Premier League job and prove himself a little bit more, I think. Uh, I understand that's a little bit hypocritical, given that he's proven himself more in the Premier League than Graham Potter. But... It is what it is. Graham Potter's track record through his career is, you know, is very good. Um, as is how as part of the relegation. But number one, the favourite for the job is Big Sean, Mr. Dyche, the man himself. If people have been moaning about the way Southgate and Hodgson played, I don't really know what the reaction would be to Dicey taking over. I also know that there'd be a few players in the squad who might want to change their names because, you know, Sean doesn't like anything exotic and he only accepts about seven names as actual names. Mark, John, Shane, Alan. Sean, I assume. It's, it's just the Irish for John. Um, uh, you know, like Raheem Sterling, I think myself and Guy were talking, he'd have to become Richard and the surname would have to sh- to change as well because, you know, Sterling is currency and thou shall not disrespect the Queen's currency by using it as your name. So Raheem Sterling would have to become Richard Smith Jaden Sancho would be John Smith. You know, it would just that is what it would be. Trent Alexander Arnold, that's too many names. Pick two of them, move on. Alex Oxley, Chamberlain, the same. You know, you, what are you doing with your three names? Is two not enough for you? Sean does not like fuss, does not like fancy. Very, very simple man. Likes things nice and bland. 
all greys. Probably try and change the national team kit as well. Get it more of a, a cream or a, you know, the beige kind of colour. Um, Sean Dyche as England manager would be would be everything for me. I'd love to see it. Can only imagine the amount of players that would pull out of the national squad every friendly because they just wouldn't want to be run into the ground <laughs> for the fortnight he'd have hold of them. Oh, it'd be fantastic. Just imagine him getting Harry Kane in and just <laughs> having centre-backs volley him up in the air. be tremendous. Um, right, last thing I wanted to do today was just check in with the three recently relegated Premier League teams. So Watford currently sits second in the championship table. Um, 11 games in, they've won six, drawn three, and lost only two, scoring 14 goals, conceding only nine. They've been really good. They've been balanced. They're using their squad quite well. They're getting the most out of some of the young players that weren't really given a chance in the past. The likes of Joe Pedro, they've made a really good start. Um, it is crazy to see Ishmael Asara playing in the championship and just being so much better than everybody else when he's on the field. Um, all things considered, I think they will be very, very happy with where they are right now. They just, they look good. They really do look good. Their defeats were away to Reading, who are top, and away to Barnsley. The Barnsley one will be a little bit disappointing for them, but you can't really be too annoyed with, with one bad result in a season of 11 games so far. So, yeah, I think Watford are looking like a good bet to, if not come back up, at least be in the playoffs. Um, and give a good account of themselves. Uh, then we have Norwich, who currently sit third in the Premier in the Championship. Rather, um, I was surprised a little bit when Daniel Farker decided to stay. I was even more surprised when they managed to hold on to Max Ahrens and Todd Cantwell and Emmy Buendia. Didn't think there was any chance they were going to keep hold of them. The sales of Jamal Lewis and Ben Godfrey could really have hurt them because they were two really important players for them. But they have overcome those sales without spending a lot of money to replace those players. And um, and they look formidable again. They really do. I mean, Aaron's is showing more of the form he showed the last time they were in this league. Buendia has looked pretty impressive. They they really could use him adding more goals to his game, though. I mean, that's it's just a big issue for them right now. Timo Puki is the only player in that team who really gives them a goal threat that was the problem last year they do need to address it i think in january if they want to come back up they're going to need to add more goals into that team the one disappointment for me this season just was the whole issue with cantwell where i guess they told him he was leaving and then they kind of pulled it back and didn't let him leave or whatever it was and he had a bit of a strop and he missed a bunch of games but you know he's he's settled back in Seems to be, you know, working hard again, earning his manager's thrust. And, you know, hopefully he has a good season. And hopefully he does earn himself the move that he, that he does warrant. He's a very good player. He is too good for the championship. Um, and he may even come in January if he keeps working hard. But, uh, yeah, they currently sit third. Um, a similar record to Watford. Six wins, three draws, two defeats, 13 goals scored, only eight conceded. Um, their defeats were away to Bournemouth. Again, they won't be they won't be too disappointed in that because Bournemouth, very good team that came down with them. 
the loss at home to Derby will be massively disappointing them, though, given Derby have been terrible this season and currently sit bottom of the league. That is Derby's only win of the season. Uh, so that will that one will kind of stick in the craw a little bit, but uh, you know they're in they're in good shape. And then finally, we do have Bournemouth, and again, like with Norwich, they managed to hold on to a lot of players. And in fairness, like Watford, they managed to hold on to a lot of players that you did think were likely to leave. Um, but they've just been really resilient to hanging on to the players they wanted to keep and. Most of them are playing an important role so far this season. Like Lerma's played quite a bit. Philip Billings played quite a bit. David Brooks is back playing. Lewis Cook is back playing. So, you know, it is, it's really good to see. Uh, they're the one club that did change manager in the summer with um, Jason Tindall taking over from Eddie Howe. He had, of course, been his assistant for forever, really, since 2008. Uh, followed him to Burnley, came back. And whether he or not he was the best candidate so far, so good. He looks like the right candidate. They're currently fourth. They've had some pretty impressive results. Only the one defeat for them this season. That was away to Sheffield Wednesday. And it's not as bad a result as the league table will tell you. And I'll get to that in a sec. But um, they just need to turn more draws into wins. That's the simple thing for them. Five wins, five draws, one defeat. Scored 15, only conceded the nine. So all three teams that came down last season and were noted for having particularly poor defences, they're actually looking better defensively this season. Um, The reason that Sheffield Wednesday defeat is not as bad as it seems, because when you look at the table, you see them sit in second bottom, 23rd position. However... When you look at their points total, played 11, won 3, drew 3, lost 5, 6 points. That obviously doesn't add up. They should have 12 points. They should, in truth, be, well, they should only be 21st, 20 21st. They start the season with a, you know, a points deduction. So, it's not as bad. Sheffield Wednesday are a decent team. They've had a rough start to the season. The points deduction really, really hampered them. But they have recently made a change. And they've brought in the man, the myth, the legend, Tony Pulis. Finally, the man can leave his house again. He owns clothes once more. One of everything from the club shop for Tony. Um, So it's great. You know, he, he can go outside again without people calling the police and saying there's a naked man walking around the area. Um, Pulis will... Launch them back up the table. There's no doubt in my mind that Sheffield Wednesday will finish comfortably in mid-table. Will be an absolute pain in the backside for everybody to play against. And um, when, in retrospect, when when they look back at that result, I don't think um, Bournemouth will be as upset as they probably were walking off the pitch at that moment in time. And that's it. That is the three teams. They're all doing well. They sit second, third, and fourth in the in the first division. Sorry, the championship. Um, and all three are in with a really good chance at not just making the playoffs, but of automatic promotion. Obviously, two come up automatically and then one through the four-team playoffs. Right now, you would say Reading might be the one likely to drop off of those top four. Bristol sit fifth. 
equal points with Bournemouth, but you'd fancy Bournemouth just to have more quality. This is a really tough league, though. When you look at Swansea, who've not long out of the Premier League in, in sixth, Middlesbrough, not long out of the Premier League in seventh, Stoke were Premier League for years, um, Millwall in ninth, nobody wants to go play there. Uh, Watford, I mean, when I was growing up, Watford were a first division club. Little cramped Kenilworth Road with the, the plastic pitch. And it's a great place to go and watch a game. It really, really is. It's such a unique stadium, a unique atmosphere. I highly recommend uh, checking out a game at Luton Town if you're ever in the area. Uh, Brentford sit 11th. I mean, they lost the playoff final last year. They're 11th this year. So that tells you how strong the league is. Again, like Blackburn, Huddersfield, both been in the Premier League not too long ago. Blackburn a little bit longer ago, but Huddersfield not long ago. Preston in 14, Cardiff not long out of the Premier League in 15th. Barnsley, Birmingham have been a Premier League team. They have mortgaged themselves to the hilt, spending ridiculous amounts of money trying to get themselves back up. QPR have spent a fortune. Uh, Rotherham in 19th. Forrest have spent ludicrous amounts of money, had 73 managers in the last four years. Uh, just a bizarrely run club. But again, a club that spend a lot and want to get back in the in the top flight. A club that really, I think we all would like to see Forrest back in the top flight. I would love to see Coventry City. One of my good friends, Dave, he is a, another Dave, not myself. Uh, he is a Coventry City fan. He was born in Coventry. So unfortunately, it was just kind of cursed upon him. Um, but he wants to see his team do well. I want to see them do well for him. Uh, Coventry, when we were growing up, were a, you know, they were a top-flight team. They just were. Big Ron, loads of players bought from Crystal Palace, Richard Shaw, people like that. You know, we remember the Gary McAllister team, the Dion Dublin years, Robbie Keane, Darren Huckerby. There was good players came through Coventry. You know, they had Coventry on their path of their journey. They were bought from somewhere, played for Coventry, moved on. Highfield Road, yeah, that's... Give me Coventry back in the Premier League. Wickham in 22nd. I mean, you know, they'll they'll struggle. Budget-wise, they're maybe the smallest club in the league. But again, Sheffield Wednesday have spent ridiculous amounts trying to get back to the Premier League. Uh, got themselves a whole bunch of bother. Got themselves some points deducted. Um, but again, a Premier League club all the years we were growing up. I'd love to see them back up. And Derby County. Um, my stepfather's brother, a huge Derby County fan. I'd love to see them back up. Again, a club that have spent ridiculous amounts of money. You think they're paying Wayne Rooney small money to play there? They brought him in like they brought in Philippe Koku and Frank Lampard before him with the aim of getting back to the Premier League. They're bottom of the league in the championship. The championship is just, it's a death race. It really, really is. You get clubs that just massively overspend. Loads of them have big spending power. but They overspend chasing the stream of the Premier League. When it doesn't work, the EFL hammer them, absolutely hammer them with sanctions. If they if it works, they can just give the two fingers to the EFL and move on. But that fine maybe waiting when you, when you drop back down. But look, it's it's a really really tough division, top to bottom. It is very very tough. Nobody expected Derby to be bottom of the league after eleven games before the season started. They were favoured to be a playoff team. Simple as that. Um, Sheffield Wednesday probably would have been borderline playoffs as well if not for the points deduction now the season has not gone well for them hence the reason they sacked Gary Monk and brought in Big Tone but you know 
nobody expected those to be the bottom two teams. Same as nobody expected Forrest to be 20th. These are teams that have ambitions to get promoted. They're not just looking to stay in the division. So for, for Watford, for Norwich, for, for Bournemouth to be second, third and fourth right now is a really impressive achievement. And when you consider how many years have we looked at the championship and thought, oh, look, there's that team that were in the Premier League last year that have just fallen asunder. It just happens. Like, look at Huddersfield. They went down, nearly got relegated a second time. You know, like, we saw Sunderland get relegated back-to-back years. There's always one that drops down and just capitulates. There's generally one who does quite well and will either bounce back or be in the playoffs and then one who's kind of hanging around the edge of the playoffs. But this season, all of them seem to be making a real charge at it. Now, I do think the pandemic helped because I think both Bournemouth and Norwich in particular would have lost multiple more players if the transfer market was normal. I think Watford would have lost Ishmael Assar, but other than him, they probably would have had the same squad as they do now. But what? But uh, Norwich would have lost Buendia, they would have lost Cantwell, they would have lost Aaron's. Bournemouth would have lost David Brooks, probably Lewis Cook, definitely Jefferson Lerma, maybe Philip Billing, um, and maybe one or two others. You know, someone might have come in with a bid for Lloyd Kelly. I know they had him designated as kind of the Nathan Aki replacement, but in their financial situation, it wouldn't have been a surprise if they'd sold him. As it is, you know, they they sold Ramsdale, they sold Aki. And they've sort of been able to keep most of the rest together. So, you know, uh, Callum Wilson obviously left as well. Um, but con- congrats to all three on the season so far. Doing really, really well. Hopefully, hopefully see at least one of them back in the Premier League next season. Because um, I'm not going to get Coventry, Forest, or Sheffield Wednesday up or Derby. The, the four teams I'd want up. Um that's something I'm going to do one of these Wednesdays when it's a little bit quiet in the middle of the week is put together my ideal 20-team Premier League. That's something I'm going to do. But that is it for today. That is our show. Hopefully a little bit more entertaining and interesting than the last couple of days. Uh, apologies again. I just haven't been very well. Uh, thank you all for listening. As always, please do tell a friend, share a tweet, whatever you can, uh, just to help grow the show a little bit more. And uh, until then, thank you to Guy Drinkle. Thank you to Fox Hunt. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.